Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at our gospel reading for the week, which comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. But first, a story. I will never forget one particular day in college when I showed up to a class I really loved, only to find out that somehow I had completely forgotten that our final exam was on that day. This was one of those classes that didn't require a lot of intense thinking. There were no problems to figure out. There were no essays that needed to be completed. All the class required was that you study, (laughs) know the names and dates and vocabulary and all that stuff. Retention of the material in the textbook, that was the name of the game. But if you were like me on that particular day and you had not used the study guide or poured over the chapter, you would inevitably fail. I had done well in that class up to that point, and at that moment, I was not sure quite what to do. This failure, if I went through with this test, could have a way of legitimately changing my life. So I decided that the best course of action was to go to the teacher, admit my mistake, and plead for, for mercy. Please help me. I totally blew it. I forgot about the test. Is there anything I could do? Could I take it later and lose a letter grade? I know I could do well, but I just plain forgot. In that moment, the teacher looked at me with an expression that conveyed two things, both, oh no, (laughs) and let's make this work. She told me that I could come to her office the next day and take the test. In fact, this is, I think, the only professor I ever had who probably would have done such a thing. But I still remember that oh crap moment (laughs) right between the time I saw people preparing for the test and when I approached the teacher. Now, I think some people, when they think about Christianity, they think it's about preparing for the oh crap moment. (laughs) We think we better get things right. We better be ready for the test or we are going to fail and our lives will be ruined forever. Sometimes we read stories like this one in our gospel reading, and we just think that in our mind. We think, I better get it all morally right. I better be prepared when the the master comes back to see what I've done with the talent, or I'm toast. Well, the problem with this test way of thinking is it does not fit with the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He said that he came to seek and save that which was lost. The tax collectors and sinners would have failed any moral and religious examination. But Jesus told the religious leaders that they that those who were seen as least would actually go ahead of them in God's kingdom. So in reality, this story about the parable of the talents is about God's goodness and generosity. In fact, this cluster of parables that we have here is telling us something about the relationship between God and Israel. In chapter 23, Jesus had called out the religious leaders because they had forgotten the generosity and goodness of God. They had created a system which excluded others on moral, ethnic, and sometimes physical grounds. Jesus is continuing in that theme here. 
So he tells a parable about a man who's going on a journey and he entrusts his wealth to his servants while he's away. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing because the NIV translates the unit of money that the servants are given as a bag of gold. So we kind of get it. But a lot of us are familiar with the older translations of the Bible that call this a talent. So we call this the parable of the talents. Well, a talent was a unit of money worth more than a laborer could earn in 15 years. In fact, scholars estimate that today the total amount that the master distributed would be close to $1.9 million. The word that we use today in English for talent like gifts or skills, like if you play the piano really well or you're good at cooking or whatever, like that's actually taken from this Greek word. So it's kind of confusing. It's taken from this parable. So when you read this, don't start by reading talents like gifts and skills. No, the English language took that word from this parable, not the other way around. So what's this talking about? What's talking about money? A lot of money. (laughs) So what does the talent represent in the story? What was it that they were given? What What gift was so valuable? Well, it may represent all that God's people had been entrusted with. Israel had been given the law of Moses. They had also been given the temple, the sign of God's presence. They had been given God's promises about how God wanted to bless them and to bless the world. They are God's chosen people. What an amazing gift. God wanted them to steward that gift and to put it to work to bless the world. And here Jesus is calling out the religious leaders, indicating that actually they have acted, these certain leaders have acted like the third servant in the story. They have buried that which was given to them. You remember, you probably remember the old song that comes from the Beatitudes, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then there's a verse that we always loved as, as kids that we would say, hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine, right? Remember that? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Well, Jesus is saying that the religious leaders have taken their light and hid it under a bushel. They've taken the law, the temple, the promises, which were designed to bless the whole world, and they've hidden it. These religious leaders are worshiping in a way that excludes the other. It doesn't benefit the world. And in the ancient world, the safest thing to do with money was to bury it. But the kingdom of God is not safe. It's an adventure. It's active, moving, working in the world. You can't be salt and light in the world if you're not in it. Salt and light seeks the good of the world. Jesus is saying that the religious leaders have so blinded themselves that they were unable to see the gift that was Jesus himself. The religious leaders are seen in the third servant, the one who hid the wealth, verse 18. But what about the other two servants? They are, it seems, the ones who hear the call of Jesus and respond. They are, to mix with Jesus' other parables, they're like the mustard seed, which starts small and blossoms. They know they can't hold on to anything else. They can't hold on to their achievements or efforts or approval. They hold on only to the kingdom of God. And when they do that, the mustard seed blossoms and grows. This can be seen in the larger context of the God who always responds with grace and love. When we receive that grace and love and allow it to work in our hearts, it changes us and bears fruit. Notice that the focus is not on the total amount earned, right? So Jesus doesn't praise someone who earned more than someone who earned less, right? So the praise is of those who put it to work 
And then the challenge is the one who buried it, right? But there's not a comparison. Notice there's not a comparison between those who put it to work and the one who earned more and the one who earned less, right? Like there's also no one in the story that tried, that put it to work and lost it. Why? Because the general idea is if you put the talent to work, it will produce. God is not looking at us in comparison with other people. He's not saying, hey, you did better at the kingdom of God than so-and-so. No, he invites us simply to invest what we've been given. And the assumption is when you live in the way of the kingdom, it will always bear fruit. So the parable begins with grace. God has given us an incredible gift. Now, many on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection have seen another wrinkle to this passage. Jesus himself is present in the story. He is the talent who's been given for the world. And he's also the servant who faithfully multiplied and expanded the gift in the world. Because of Jesus, we are part of the family of God. This is a gift that we've been given. It wasn't something we earned. And now as a grace-giving, generous people, we're called to participate in Christ's mission of blessing the world, to risk it. The servant's motivation comes from how they view the master. So the wicked servant says he was afraid of the master, so he hid the talent. He was afraid of what might happen if he put the talent to work. He was afraid that the talent would be squandered, so he just hid it. This reveals a faulty conception of God. Some believed that God was mean, wrathful, and stingy. So they did what you would do if you believed your master was stingy. You do everything you could to protect what you've been given. Everything becomes about preservation. But that misses the whole point of God's activity in the world, loving and blessing. To miss this is to miss Jesus. I want to say that we too can bury what God has given us. We can think that God's blessings are scarce, so we hold tightly instead of being open-handed and generous with others. But God's presence is active, not static. God is moving, healing, and restoring the world. When we try to hide it, to isolate it, it does no one any good. Now, the other servants, probably referring to the tax collectors and sinners, had a sense that their master was loving, that he wanted what was best for them and for the world. Notice verse 16, it says that when they received the talent, they went at once and put it to work. When my daughter gets a new toy, she can't even wait to leave the store. She puts it to work immediately. There's a joy and an excitement. And if I'm honest, when I get a new piece of technology or a new book, I want to open it immediately. Let's get on with this. I can't wait another second. This is what happens when we receive a gift from the God of grace. Now, the end of the passage is quite scary in some ways as we read it, or at least it can be. We may understand the idea that a person who's concerned only about themselves and avoiding wrath shouldn't be entrusted with anything else. That's verse 23. We may even understand how the talent would be taken from that person and given to someone else. Verse 28. But why the next step? Why does he have to say, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we must remember a few things. First, this is a parable. It's a figurative story. 
Jesus is giving a harsh warning to oppressive political groups who have warped God's embracing heart for the world. Second, outer darkness is actually a fitting description for where self-obsession leads. If you meet someone in your life who is fully self-obsessed, they live their lives in great insecurity, rejecting others for not being good enough, all the while concerned that they are not good enough. This kind of life only leads to weeping and lashing out. When a person worships themselves instead of the God whom they were created to worship, it naturally leads to darkness. The light they were called to shine extinguishes. But remember, this is the second thing. Remember where the entire story is headed. Jesus himself will be cast into utter darkness. He himself will take on the wailing and gnashing of teeth, the self-obsession, the lack of mercy in the world that we might be freed from our own self-obsession. He takes our place. This is because God loves us and only wants our good. The good news today is that we don't have to be afraid. God desires our good. We can trust and yield our lives to God and to his kingdom. God calls us to a life of utter dependence on his grace, an open-handed and active life, which follows the spirit in radical giving and loving. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.